0: Welcome to Farscape Friday, Episode 3. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, Exodus from Genesis. I'm Kay here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Let's get started. Alright, so today we're going to be discussing Episode 3, Exodus from Genesis, which, if you're watching on Netflix, is Episode 2. A quick summary of the episode. While avoiding a marauder scanner, Moya is infected with space beetles that need to turn up the heat in order to spawn. The crew tries to turn down the heat before Moya or Aaron are permanently injured by the sauna. Meanwhile, the Marauder Commandos come aboard Maya intending to recapture her.
1: Watching this episode again, I was actually reminded how much I actually like it. it it's still an early episode. I feel like the early season episodes are sometimes get lumped together as the, I don't know, the one-off bad ones because the show is still figuring out what it's about and what it's, what it's going to be doing. But this one was actually a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got to revisit this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of community building that happens in this episode that explains why they're so close later in the season. Because I think if we just jumped from episode one, where they all meet each other and they're essentially strangers, to the later episodes in the first season, then it just wouldn't make as much sense. This was, this was an interesting episode. I liked it.
1: Yeah, we get a bunch of new, new relationships that are really developed here. The first one I wanted to talk about was John's relationship with Zan. Because John is here, he is still fumbling around Moya doesn't know what's going on as when they see this cloud of they think it's asteroid debris, but it's really the bugs that are about to infect them out there he doesn't know what's going on he and when he wants to outrun the marauder because they're hiding in this cloud from the marauder. They're like, no, we can't do that. That's obviously a stupid idea. What are you thinking? Because, you know, they would then be known where their location is. And he's just so frustrated with them. And Zan is the one when they actually start walking around, turning on the heating vents when they first get infected and the heat temperature changes And Xan is the one who actually understands that he is learning a lot right now. And John is just so tired and frustrated. And it's a really nice moment of connection between the two of them. Here's the the little excerpt from from that scene.
0: Well, at least you get that. The others treat me like I'm some kind of earth idiot. Well, granted, they're not the most patient beings, but what did you expect? Oh, I don't know. A little slack, maybe. At least they know where they are, how things work. It takes me 10 minutes to figure out how to open the door. You'll need to develop some patience yourself if you expect to survive here. I'm trying. Ooh. I am trying. But you know, with Aaron and Dargo, it's like everything's a test. It's like I'm in some never-ending frat hazing at alien U. Frat hazing? Next planet, I'll rent you a copy of Animal House.
1: You know, he's got this huge learning curve going on with people who don't respect him. And it's um, really nice to see the two of them right there.
0: Yeah, and I think Zan is also the first one that actually... She's the first one that points out that John himself is going to need some patience in that clip. Because she's the one who understands that as much as he seems to be putting his frustrations on Aaron and Dargo. And, you know, saying, well, everything to them is a test they hate me. I'm going to, I want to go home. And Zan is the first one that essentially says, yeah, I get it. You're learning a lot, but you know what? You also need to have patience because I think John is coming from a place where he, he is used to knowing everything. He is used to being the smartest man in the room. And now all of a sudden he's in a place where he doesn't, he doesn't know things. And I actually, I do want to play that clip that you mentioned earlier, just because of what John says at the end. How fast can they go? H7. H7. The things a Hyundai. Why don't we stop playing hide and seek and just smoke them? If they discover us, Grace will know exactly where to concentrate his search, and we cannot outrun a command carrier. Dago's right. Well, of course he is Soon. he's been here longer. And it's that kind of disgust at the end of he's been here longer. Um I think there's a couple of interesting John things in in that quote. And the first is the reference to a Hyundai. This is also the first episode where he did it a little bit last episode where he referenced Yoda and he referenced, you know, kiss my ass. But in this episode, we really start seeing him explicitly reference things that there's no way that any of them would possibly get. They don't know what a Hyundai is. Yeah, he, he brings up Animal House later on. Yeah, and he says, well, I'll rent it for you at the next planet. You know, and he's kind of, he's becoming more of himself, and he's opening up more of himself, and he's also becoming more of the person that they begin to, to know.
1: But I think also his referencing all those things is... Um, is a defense mechanism too it's a way to normalize what he's experiencing out there in terms that he can wrap his head around more easily and also is like an in-joke with himself to all these aliens so he they don't know what he's talking about but he doesn't know what anything's going on out there either Mm -hmm. both sides are in the dark a little bit and it comes across as a defense mechanism too Mm -hmm.
0: that's a good point about it being being a way of protecting himself, being a way of saying, "Well, you think I'm weird? Let me show you weird, <laughs> but yeah. also there's that disgust at the end of the quote where he he's literally like, "Well, of course he's right. He's been here longer, and it's that frustration that I think Zan is addressing in the earlier in the earlier quote where she's essentially saying, "Yeah, he has been here longer. You also need to have patience in this situation, Mr. Crichton, yeah. This episode also opens on some of the most amazing daily life of in terms of the crew. It opens with Rigel painting himself and the way the <laughs> shot is set up is so cool because at first he's like looking at a bowl of fruit and so you think maybe he's painting the bowl of fruit, but he's actually eating it. It's his snack <laughs> and he's painting like a 3-year-old version of himself, which is It's amazing. pretty great. And he's like the work of art, and it's just like,
1: you know, crayon
0: coloring kind of thing. Yeah, but then you also have this hilarious little moment that I don't think we ever hear about again later, but it's so interesting where he says, yes, my, you know, my, I'm the most beautiful, and that's why mom had my older brother's <laughs> banished, because she said <laughs> I should be on the seal, and you end up being like, mm-hmm. That's the reason. Yes, keep telling yourself that, Rigel. And then we have... Dargo teaching John how to brush his and, teeth. And by, in space. by
1: teaching him, it's like holding his mouth open and shoving this little wormy thing into his mouth and saying, This is the dentic that you must use to brush your teeth with or you know, it'll clean your teeth and it's you know, you can understand why John is cringing away. <laughs>
0: And then immediately after these two very domestic scenes, we have Aaron piloting the ship and everybody comes up to command because they're like, why is Moya acting like she has the hiccups? And it turns out that Aaron is dodging a marauder, which has on board peacekeeper commandos, the elite of the peacekeeper infantry
1: and the commandos this is also turns out to be a very raw wound for erin too because she's actually applied to be a member of the commando team and so you really get you know the following scenes she's kind of upset that they the marauders are there and not just because they're being chased but because that was the life that she could have had that she was supposed to have and this whole prison break once again, we see has messed up her life and she cannot do what she really wanted to do. And she had this whole career plan and it was completely derailed. And here she is stuck with the human.
0: Yeah, and the framing of that is interesting because in this episode, we see Erin at her weakest. This is the weakest we've seen her so far in the show because she begins succumbing to, what is it? the heat death, delirium. Heat delirium. She begins succumbing to heat delirium. And it's kind of framed with... Her saving them by avoiding, by using what they think is asteroid debris to avoid the scanners of the Marauder. And then she has this really raw argument with John about her place on the ship and about her feelings about the crew. And then later in the episode, we do see everybody essentially doing their most to, to save her. To, to help keep, her, yeah. Yeah, to help
1: her. And it's an interesting framing of it, too, because at the beginning, she explicitly rejects being friends with John and being like a part of the group. Here's the, here's the quote about it.
0: Look, you're not in this salon. Everybody on board has had their lives derailed from what they thought they were going to be, should be. We're stuck together. And as long as we are, we might as well be... What? Family? Friends? I want neither. Yeah, somebody's got to be there when you need it.
1: No offense, human. What can I possibly
0: need from you?
1: And so what you see here, she's, he's reaching out to her, acknowledging that they're all in this together. And she's basically saying, well, whatever, you guys can do your thing. I'm going to be over here being my own Stoic excavation peacekeeper self and really not wanting not wanting to cross that line, not still not wanting to let go of the peacekeeper side of her yet.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it makes sense. Why not? Because she's literally faced with what she had been wanting for her entire life, you know, to be this elite soldier. You, when she describes the search pattern of them, she said, clean, efficient. And, you know, she says, I doubt anything, anything on your world is, is as efficient or, or as deadly. And it's kind of this pr- moment of pride yeah, for her where definitely. she she sees it as this is what I wanted and yet that's not what she's going to get and also she has some interesting an interesting moment right before that when she's been avoiding the marauder and pilot after they after they avoid it pilot says in real surprise you know thank you and you know she ha- she acknowledges that they work well together so it's an interesting emotional moment because I have to believe that she went from that feeling of warmth that feeling with pilot of of doing something together as a team to being immediately reminded that this is not the team that she wanted. This is right. not the... Th- these are not the team that she would have chosen for herself.
1: And that's the one of the other relationships that really gets going in this episode is Aaron and Pilots, because they have... Um, so they have another moment later on once Aaron has been hit with... his begins to succumb to heat delirium. Uh, heat delirium happens when they're preservation's core temperature rises and it happens because they get infected by these bugs and the bugs are raising the temperature of the ship basically incubate their hive so that they can produce young because it's all about genesis and the, what pilot says to her when she's in the middle of feeling really awful and her memory is starting to get loose and she is really starting to lose it it's like she's in the den with him and he's like you know it's really weird being with a peacekeeper that I don't fear, and so you can see that already the relationship has changed and is starting to grow into actually a friendship that that is one of the most incredible relationships on the show actually as it progresses through the series.
0: yeah, and at the end at the end of that conversation, after he said, it's weird being near a peacekeeper I, I trust and or I, or I don't fear. He, he has to clarify, <laughs> and he actually tells her that's supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that she and Pilot have a couple of interesting moments this episode, that first one being where she acknowledges they work well together, and then when she's in the den. And there's this moment where, that I want to play. few degrees cooler, that's all. I'm sorry. Not your fault. I cannot reactivate the consumable refrigeration unit. I have no place to bring your core temperature down. Perhaps the others can think of a way to help you.
1: (laughs) Why would the others care? My kind imprisoned them. I'm sure they haven't forgotten.
0: And it's this moment where I don't know that it would have happened a couple episodes ago. I don't know that he he, he would have cared enough. And at the end of that, he says, maybe one of the others will find a way to help you. And Aaron yeah. looks at him and she just, she says, why, why would they bother? My yeah, kind she- imprisoned them. I don't think they've forgotten.
1: Yeah. And she, she, doesn't believe that anyone could find any, any reason to, to help her. And it brings us to another conversation that happens between actually John and Dargo about Aaron. Um, Cause, she's starting to succumb to the heat delirium and john is being very aggressive with dargo about you want her to die we have to figure this out and dargo's like no i don't want her to die specifically like he still hates the peacekeepers but aaron has stopped being on the other side for him i mean they're not friends yet but the relationship has already changed and he already sees her more as a comrade than as an antagonist
0: yeah here let me play the quote little wretch is doing the best he can Meanwhile, Aaron is melting away. Look, human, for what it is worth, the part of me that wants Aaron to live is greater than the part of me that wants all peacekeepers to die. It's not worth much. That's all I've got. It's interesting for Dargo, because of how he felt in the last episode, because in the last episode she did prove herself somebody that would fight alongside him and she did they did have a few moments in the last episode that were not peaceful by any stretch of the imagination but essentially he's gone from i want all peace keepers to die including Aaron," to i kind of don't want Aaron to die maybe yeah, pretty much she's not so bad all the other peacekeepers are bad but but not her I have to point out though, Dargo this episode has just some of the best lines. Um, Oh my god, he totally does! (laughs) Like, there's this line really early, or there's this line later in the episode that kind of shows how straightforward Dargo is as a character. As a character, Dargo, like, he sees a problem, and the immediate solution is the is the most straightforward solution, even when that doesn't make any sense. I'm, I, I know I just played a clip, I'm, I have to play this other one. We will kill them all, on sight. And how will you tell us from them? We will cut off the tip of our small finger for identification. How about something a little less permanent?
1: <laughs> it's not the most practical thing to do, Dargo. I'm sorry. And the look John gives him is just so perfect. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it my way. Not, none of this chopping off of our fingers thing. It's just so great.
0: Yeah, and I think that this is a really good and and really clear way the show says of the type of culture John comes from and the or the type of culture that Dargo comes from and the ki- type of culture that the rest of them do where his immediate solution is <laughs> we're gonna cut off our little pinky finger and and he literally has a knife to his pinky because he's real ready to go he's like there <laughs> <laughs> and it's just um just so classic dargo and then later on when uh, Rigel phones in and he's like. Well, they're not advancing as long as I don't move. And Dargo has this moment and then his expression gets really clear and he goes, so don't move. Don't move. <laughs> and its I think it's a good way of setting up Dargo because you know that he has places to go from here. You know he has character growth to go from here. He really does. But this is like his starting point. His starting point is we're going to cut off our pinky finger (laughs) and don't move if they're advancing (laughs) when you move.
1: The third quote I like from him is um, it's after the marauders have or the commandos on the marauder, excuse me, Aaron would correct me if I said that wrong, um, have landed and they have to go out and, you know, take them out essentially so that the, the bugs don't kill them. And John says, All right, it's just you and me, because Aaron's out, Zan's out, you know, they have to stay behind, um, because of the heat delirium, and Dargo says, No, it is just me and you. <laughs> 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 because clearly still John is a non entity and yet he's still
0: coming with him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that I and part of this is because it's Farscape and it's a show about John. Um, we should just be calling it John Crichton's Farscape, <laughs> but John's plan is the one that ends up working, the one that's more peaceful. And I think that that contrast is really clear in this episode where you have Dargo whose solution when, I mean, and what Zan was referencing earlier is that, you know, Dargo wants to go out and murder all the bugs. He's like, mm-hmm. we're just going to exterminate all of them. And Zan is like, well, how are you going to know who's who? And John's solution is so much more peaceful. And it's something that costs them because obviously it still has to be warm. Because the peace he negotiates is that you get to finish your spawning as long as you keep the ke- temperature down slightly. We, you know, we just don't want it to be too hot. And it's it's a peaceful negotiation, it's a peaceful solution that involves minimal death. It involves no yeah. death.
1: And this is why I actually think that John imprinted hard on Star Trek, because it's the type of Star Trek solution that you would see. You come across a threatening alien situation, and yet it's a complete cultural misunderstanding because the contexts are different. You know, the bugs need warmth to have their young, and they are acting aggressively to defend that. But it's all being misinterpreted as, you know, hey, we have these invaders on our ship that we need to get rid of by the Moya crew. And it's, it's very much comes across to me as, you know, how the solution would have come about in a Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the pattern that John is modeling himself after.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's clearly not a solution that anyone else seems to have thought of, perhaps with the exception of Zan. But Zan is essentially out of the, quest- out of the equation on this. In, on this issue, because she's speaking for the monarch.
1: Yeah, she gets jabbed with a, a claw thing—I don't know, a splinter—and mm-hmm. they
0: use her her body to speak.
1: <laughs> can it's I point really out?
0: <laughs> it also looks really uncomfortable. Oh, but can I point out that when they the way that the beetles get their DNA is they stab them all with little stingers, and all of them seem to be like, "Oh, a mental a metal splinter," and I'm like. Shh. What is a metal splinter? And you weren't even touching any metal. Like, why are you not (laughs) questioning this a little bit more? They're all (laughs) tough (laughs) guys. Yeah. I think, I know last episode was definitely very Rigel heavy because of his, because of him being the one to cut the beacon out of Moya. This was another episode where Rigel's size was used to the crew's advantage. And I think that this was an this was an episode where we got to see Rigel really shine as oh my god royalty, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think I'm going to play the quote here where he actually introduces himself to the monarch. I am Rigel, sixteenth of my lineage, dominar of the Hinearin Empire. At once, your equal and your humble petitioner, requesting an audience. So here Rigel is presenting himself as royalty and in the last episode we kind of got to see him being a little bit more gooey, showing a little bit more of his softer underbelly where he had doubts about himself but in this episode he is presenting himself as the monarch that he is or he's presenting himself to the monarch as the royalty that he is
1: right and there's this also this great line where he's like you are never allowed to do diplomacy again when he (laughs) talks to john about the deal he's like it's a horrible deal why did you agree to this i'm in charge of it from now on and then they're like okay you're in charge of it and he's like i have to go (laughs) crawl into a gross little tunnel so that i can negotiate with the with the monarch But he does a great job, because you know what? The monarch gets a crush on him. So go Rigel.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, that does kind of show that as many flawed... Like, Rigel is probably easily the most flawed of the characters, just because his avarice and his... You know, he's got a lot going on. Yeah. But here he gets to play to his strength, which is diplomacy, which is knowing how to negotiate with other leaders.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's been a long time since I've watched this the first time through, but... But one of the things about Rigel is he's one of the harder characters to warm up to. And I think, especially in the beginning episodes, when he's always greedy, he's always eating, he's always farting, he's always being gross and self-serving and playing all the angles and this very Machiavellian kind of character. And it's, it's hard to kind of really appreciate these different facets of him until you really get to know him as a character later on. So that's why I like these little moments in the early episodes where those things are important and they
0: do... Contribute to saving the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of saving the day, there's a couple of different ways that the crew has to. There's a couple of different problems that the crew has to deal with in this episode. The first is the heat, which Rigel negotiates for them by convincing the monarch that they are not the commandos. That the commandos are a separate organization, and that's why they have broken the truce. But also, they need to help Aaron, and that's an interesting arc because we played that clip earlier where. John essentially is telling Aaron we need to be more together. If not friend if not family, at least friends. And she's essentially telling him that she wants neither. She doesn't really care for them. And then and him in particular. Yeah, him in particular. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have her and Pilot developing this warmth and Pilot feeling empathy for her in a way that's unexpected to both of them.
1: Yeah, I, she definitely does not see that coming. And I don't think she truly believes it either.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's it's out there, but she she's still, you know, accepting acceptance, accepting acceptance, accepting love and camaraderie from other people is also a hard thing that she has, especially with this crew where she's still feeling like, you know, they ruined her life.
0: Mm-hmm. And then later, when she is succumbing to the heat delirium, because they need to turn up the heat in order to Take the commandos far enough off their guard, to far enough off their guard to essentially win because it's a group yeah. of five killing machines against John basically and Dargo. The,
1: <laughs> yeah, basically using the heat delirium as a weapon to disable the commandos, but at the same time they have to keep Aaron alive. And Zan takes her into the shower
0: and hoses her off with water, trying to keep her temperature down. Mm-hmm. And before that, she Aaron has this interesting moment with John where. She actually asks him for what he promised her earlier here. I'm going to play it. It's up to you.
1: No, I'm trying to. Before the living death takes hold, you have to be prepared to kill me. Promise. No, not a chance. You said I'm not alone. A friend would do this for me. Family would do it swiftly.
0: So we have that moment where... She's asking John for what he promised earlier, and he's unwilling to give it just because of a cultural difference. I think.
1: Yeah, and so just to clarify, how heat delirium progresses, it ends up in basically the, a vegetative state. So the victim is still alive, but is essentially brain dead. And what she's asking for is a mercy kill.
0: Mm-hmm. But also, I think it is a it is a cultural difference just because of on. John comes from a culture where you value life at all cost and where, you know, even now we have these arguments over about when it's okay to end a life for for essentially mercy reasons. And Aaron comes from a culture where if you are not fit to fight, then you are not fit to live. Like when she goes to pilot earlier and she's talking about if there's a way to cool down the ship, she's so desperate and her hand is trembling. And that's that's the proof she shows to pilot that she needs help is her hand trembling. And she says you know, something along the lines of I can't hold a weapon. I'm
1: right. not a
0: peacekeeper or a sedation anymore. You
1: know? Yeah. And, and I think for John, too, I mean, it's not just the whole euthanasia issues and the issues that our culture has around death, especially in the United States. But it's also, he's never killed anyone before, and I think that scares him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's even worse having to be responsible for the death of a friend, even if they're asking for it. But I think this is also an episode that's starting to confront John with what role he will have to play in this universe, where it's really violence and their survival depends on carrying a weapon. So they, they take down the Peacekeepers, but they don't actually kill them. And it's John's decision not to kill them. And he convinces Dargo to go along with it. He says it's to send a message to Grace that I I could have killed you, but I didn't. I beat your best team, but I, you know, I'm letting them live to tell you about this. But I think that's as much a justification for not actually taking out, taking them out and killing them as an actual
0: reason for why he let them go. Yeah, for certain. And it is also akin to the way that John deals with the monarch and the Beatles is that when he realizes that this is a war he started by killing one of the bugs in his room, he has this moment of almost, it's not horror on his face, but it's something close to that, where he says, this is a war that we started. And Dargo kind of can, you know, says, well, we're going to finish it also. And John is essentially saying, no, that's not how I want to do things. Right. He feels culpable,
1: mm-hmm. you know. It's actually a really hilarious scene, because this is way back at the beginning. <laughs> and the bugs are creepy, okay, they're like, I don't know, the size of a DRD, they're black and they're scaly and they've got all these tentacle things and they stand up. And so he's oh, like and they have, jumping like, claws. on the walls, and they oh. have claws, and he's jumping on the walls to try to get away with them. He's playing basically lava floor with this bug. And it's this really hilarious scene, and he's like, I need help here. And so he captures it in his blanket and smashes it against the floor. And it's like, I'd be creeped out by those bugs, too. I don't blame them for for,
0: for killing it. Oh, especially because uh, apparently they were going around and acquiring DNA samples. DNA, yeah. like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what good has ever come of random bugs acquiring your DNA? <laughs> right. But this kind of brings us to
1: our, our the other major theme of the episode, which is lesser life forms. Like, at the beginning, the bugs are bugs. They mm-hmm. are pests. They need to be gotten rid of. And, and it's only later through... The fact that they actually can talk through the bugs infecting Xan, that they find out, oh, this is a sentient species, essentially, because clearly they can organize and talk to them. And so it's like, well, are they really a lesser species or are they not? And that's brought back. It's one of the, those little notes that's brought back at the very last scene. Uh, it's a tag between John and Aaron. And they're on the terrace, and the terrace is gorgeous. You don't see it a lot, but it's it's basically the shielded part of Moya, so it looks like you're standing in the middle of space. And contem- and Aaron's contemplating the role of lesser life forms, um, and John's like, yeah, yeah, and then he's like, wait, you're talking about me, right? Because to <laughs> to Aaron, to Aaron and Dargo, and you know. You know, he is the human who is the lesser life form because that's the other thing i noticed about this episode john gets called human a lot mm-hmm. like it's like four or five instances of it and uh, it's just like that's his appellation is the bug the human and mm-hmm. and that parallel that's going on though i will note that that scene is also great in how it ends because aaron totally knows she's she's stringing him along Mm-hmm. And it's kind of flirty, and she has this great smile at the end, too, and you're just like, "Oh, Aaron and John,
0: I know, yeah, I ship them. I don't know anybody that does not <laughs> ship them I mean, I, I think even like John Dargo shippers, I'm like, you have to give credit where credits due okay, like John and Aaron. Oh, are... I ship
1: John and Dargo too, but it's really John and Aaron it's yeah.
0: it's true <laughs> um well, and also speaking about that, that greater and lesser beings, I think that is. It's not just the way the rest of them see the Bugs and the rest of them see John, but I think it's the hierarchy that they see within each other. Because we've had a few scenes now where Erin has expressed her opinions of Luxon's, and it is not positive. And (laughs) all of them have expressed, you know, their feelings of peacekeepers, and, you know, they obviously have very bad opinions of of their overlords. But it's just an interesting... It's an interesting dynamic because I think they all see themselves as the superior species. Even yeah. Rigel. Oh, well, definitely Rigel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> definitely <Like>.
0: Rigel. <laughs> and actually, there is an interesting. I'm going to play a clip from Dargo because it has such a funny line, but also because I want to talk about the heat delirium. What's her problem? Sebation heat delirium. What? Sebations like the gland necessary to regulate extreme thermal increases. Trace and those other bastards chasing us are cold-blooded. Literally. It's a weakness not enough of them die from. (laughs) It's a weakness not enough of them die from. Which, okay, actually points out one of the issues I have with heat delirium itself is that you would think that if you... You would think that they would have figured out better ways to manage this (laughs) disease since it means that you essentially can never go on a on a desert planet without some sort of exos, you know, some sort of suit. I don't know. I think heat delirium while providing lots of interesting plot and lots of meaty scenes, especially in this episode. And in later, se- in later seasons, there's also <laughs> like, there's also a thing of like, what? It's kind of completely ridiculous. Yeah. It's really <laughs> completely ridiculous. And also and that means that essentially they have the ships at a very cold temperature. Like when the ship is yeah. heating up, Dargo kind of is like, well, this is just a winter's morning on, mm-hmm. on you know, his home world. And it's interesting to me because then I'm like, well, then essentially they are they are pushing the rest of the galaxy to their will of being really cold all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know how cold it is. I mean, it could be it couldn't be it doesn't necessarily have to be that bad. But yeah, it's, it's probably akin to the whole, whole office building problem where it's always set for middle-aged white men who have a certain temperature, and so women in the office are always freezing. It's probably mm. kind of a situation like that. That's true. Yeah. So I want to have a moment of appreciation for the Commando's eye makeup. because it is really awesome and they all have different designs around their eyes and so some of them trace the eyebrows some of them go in full circles some of them are just underlined eyeliner and it's just so great that you have these commandos who are like the baddest badasses in this hugely militaristic organization and they have these little personal touches that they go and take to strike the fear into the hearts of any
0: escape prisoners who get in their way and i just love it yeah, and I mean I think we're going to have more to say about commandos when spoiler we meet a different commando unit. Yes. I do think it is interesting that very early on we understand that commandos are an elite unit and that commandos are essentially their own their own uh, I don't know how to explain it better than just I don't know how would you say it? That commandos are within the organiza- within a very structured organization they are allowed that little bit of personality.
1: Yeah. And that's that we also learn is, you know, personality is not encouraged amongst the peacekeepers, or at least that's the impression you get. And personality still starts
0: peeking through Mm -hmm. and that's where people get into trouble. And I know we've talked, speaking of personality, I know we have talked a little bit about Rigel this episode, but I have to go back that the relationship between Rigel and Zan that was kind of formed in IET isn't isn't really dropped here um, no. that Zan after Rigel is complaining that you know all the shaking ruined his his portrait. Zan takes a moment to do a spirit painting of him, and it's this gorgeous version of Rigel that shows him as as you know very much Dominar, and he kind of looks at him and he says, "Oh, this looks like Dominar Rigel the and his namesake, yeah, yeah, his namesake, and it is a very kind thing for Zan to have done. Yeah, and she
1: brings it up later. That's how she convinces him to go enter into the negotiations with the monarch. Mm-hmm. Which by, I don't know by, if by it's, referencing
0: that. Yeah, which I, I don't. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing, mostly because then you have to ask: Does Zan do a lot of her kind things with the knowledge that of the effect it could have later, like? Because Zan is, hands down, the nicest person on this ship. Well, it's a survival strategy, isn't it? Yeah. You know,
1: politeness will get you
0: very far. And,
1: I mean, I think of my own office politics at my job. And it's just like, you know, you approach it with good faith and politeness and trying to be nice to each other. And it gets you so much farther than trying to make a fight out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, so much farther. And Mm -hmm. so maybe that's her survival strategy, especially as she has, you know, she's a priest and, and... and that's kind of her modus operandi, pretty much, and that's how she gets things done. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's out of a place of malice by any means. I think there is genuine no. care there, but it pays off because it's a relationship she's building that she can then draw on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we we also see that later, for example, when she is praying over the dead over the dead beetle that John has brought as a sample. You know, and she actually is genuinely praying for this creature. And Rigel kind of confronts her about it and says, Are you know are you are you seriously praying for this bug and for this parasite? And Zan is very true to herself, I think.
1: Yeah, but then it also comes up in her last conversation with John, and the whole theme of lesser life forms. I mean, they all see this bug as being a lesser life form. They learn later it's not, but Zan already is acknowledging that it, you know, it is its own life. It was precious. It meant something to somebody. It meant something to itself. I mean, you don't have to mean anything to other people to have inherent worth as a as a being, and she recognizes that immediately with that, and you see it with that prayer, Mm -hmm. and that's what she brings up to John at the end, understanding taking your time having patience with others and that's how you that's how you can move along without killing each other essentially Mm -hmm. and that whole time and patience theme also applies to their small group one of the things i was gonna jump in earlier and say but when you're talking about the hierarchy of you know aaron is the peacekeeper and Dargo is the Luxon, and John is the human and Rigel is the Dominar, the Hynerian Dominar. They all have their, their cultures behind them and at the beginning they're very much representing them as a whole, you know, <clears throat> conversations where Dargo blames Aaron for peacekeeper problems because she's the peacekeeper. And this is really you really start to see with all those relationships and especially with Aaron being so vulnerable, those those stereotypes breaking down and they're actually seeing past them and starting to see each other as people first. Mhm and their own pe- and their own being their own person outside of the culture cultural baggage that they bring with them.
0: Yeah, which goes back to what Dario says in that quote where essentially he says the part of me that wants Aaron dead or, yeah. the, or that it's wants all problem. peacekeepers dead is, you know, is less strong than the part of me that doesn't that doesn't want Aaron dead. So she's no longer lumped in with peacekeepers for him. She's her own separate person. Um, type of person. I don't know if I have much more to say. Yeah, I think that this episode is is really, it's nice because you see the domestic, you see them working together. I did, it was interesting because the first time I watched through before I realized that Netflix was missing, had put IET out of order, it jumped from episode one to Exodus from Genesis. And actually in my notes, I kind of questioned what happened in between episode one and episode, you know, an exodus from Genesis that made them all a little more friendly to each other. And then you realize that, Oh, IET happened in the middle.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. So watching on Netflix, IET is definitely second. So how would you rate this episode?
0: I don't know. I, I think I I realized that I gave IET such a high rating last week. I like this one a little bit better than, than IET, but I didn't, it also did make me realize that I didn't like it that much.
1: <laughs> but this uh, one or IET?
0: This one, I think that, um, I don't know, I would probably still say like around a 3.5 maybe. Like yeah, f-
1: I, I I would also agree that this is better than IET. I'd say a 3.54 kind of range. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It was definitely, I don't know if I said this already, but it was definitely better than I remembered it being.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, next week, we're going to be discussing Farscape Episode 4, which is Throne for a Loss. Go Uh, ahead. I know. (laughs) I actually do like that episode a lot. I know. If you want to see Rigel confronting his nemesis, which is mud, go ahead and watch that ahead of time. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.